This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. We are deep into season 14 and deep into London. We're at Lords. Um, maybe this will be a video thing. I don't know. If it is, you will be able to see it. You'll see that we've set ourselves up in a cavernous, dark-looking sort of version of a TV production studio. But you can see that's actually Lords. Behind us, we were going to do this outside, but it was cold and windy, so we've retreated inside. But we're here, Adam. We are, we are together Again, at last. We are. Yes, you've arrived first thing this morning at my house. Uh, you got to have a cuddle with Peggy for the first time, which was nice, and reacquaint yourself with Winnie, who was thrilled to see you and immediately wanted to talk about her Elsa hair mm-hmm. and everything else that you get, repetition from a three-year-old. And, yep. And, uh, and Frozen and Elsa are so much part of her life right now. She had to make it part of yours, which is nice. You, you either get accepted immediately by a three-year-old or not at all. And so <laughs> I was gratified that within about three minutes of arrival and she was having me feed her raspberries and, and shredded wheat yeah. out of the bowl, that you know, right. um, doing the aeroplane thing. And, <laughs> and and that was, she was like, yep, this is what we're doing now. We're just hanging out, check out my toys. So, you know, nice to be welcomed. Uncle Jeff, Uncle Jeff. Um, yeah, I, I am borderline delirious as well. This is going to be one of these interesting shows. 17-hour... Um, flight and and so I got on the plane and I queued up all these movies and stuff I was like this is what I'm going to do and then I was like well I've got to write this piece first because um, Phil Walker at Wisdom Cricket Monthly had asked me to write a piece. Um, okay. it's, it's a magazine. It comes out 12 times a year, <laughs> once per month, although apparently it's going to be 11 times a year or 10 times a year before long. I don't know, confusing. There are new things in the works. And so I actually spent the entire flight doing it. Like I slept for about five hours oh. and then the rest of it I was just writing. I did not watch Did you it. relent and get the Wi-Fi? I didn't need the Wi-Fi. I, I didn't need to look things up. I sort what of, were you writing about for the mag? I was writing about... Like, kind of whether any of it matters. Like, like what's the meaning, the significance of the Australian cricket team at the moment okay. in in the backdrop of a collapsing whether anything, international whether, game? Whether it matters at all, cricket, our job, our livelihoods. Yeah, um, that well, that to a degree. But like, what what's where does it sit? Like, you've got this team in this series that's so that draws so heavily on history, but you've also got a game that's throwing away its history the, in order to do something else entirely to make more money. So it wasn't something I needed to look up stats for, put it that way. It kind um, of dovetails with your conversation with Gideon. I think yeah. your last question to him last week was... What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> he kind of gave a nice eloquent answer about how improving as a writer mm. and finding different ways to do things is, um, mm. is stimulation enough. And the things that don't matter do matter. Yeah. I think that's an important part of being human is that, you know, enjoyment is essential, recreation is essential, frivolity is essential. Mm. Doing things that don't matter does matter because if you never do anything that doesn't matter, then your life is a misery and that goes against the point of existence. There's something to be said there for the week we're having at yeah. Lords for the next four days. Like, yeah, you could argue that this doesn't matter, this test match that England are going to host Ireland in, nice handbrake mm-hmm. segue here. Yeah, But it does matter. I mean, as you'll, you'll get a sense of as we talk about this on our daily shows, which we'll start again... Well, we'll do a preview, won't we? A proper mm. preview of the England Island Test match tomorrow. The Why first not? of many, many uh, daily shows. Well, over let's limber next... up. Well, technically, we'll still be May. It's the thirtieth of May as we're recording. It's my True. mum's birthday. Happy birthday, mum! And then tomorrow will be the the preview day. But from June one, it, it is two months of uh, well, eight days a week to quote yes. from the old Jonathan Agnew book about county cricket. Eight Test matches in eight weeks, yeah. literally, is what we're we'll be doing wow. from June one. 
It's a lot, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And there'll be still weekly shows, interview shows, story mm -hmm. times all, all scattered through. So there'll be a lot of podcasts. Yep. But and we will still complain about there not being enough test cricket. Probably. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're entitled to do that. We will we'll <laughs> indulge uh, that. But yeah, the, the Ireland test match will, yep. will be the first. Well, not, not the first they've played for four years. That's wrong. They've played three already this year. But since that last marker, I suppose, mm. they have beaten England the last two times they've played. Southampton in one-day cricket in 2020, a game I was at. Actually, I was at both of them. The, mm. the MCG game uh, late last year. Yep. I forgot, didn't even consider that, that I was at both of those games where Ireland beat England. I was here um, for the three days that the test ran for in, in 2019 when they bowled them out for 85. I think we remember more yeah. uh, England being dismissed for 85 than we do Ireland being dismissed for 38 on mm -hmm. that third morning. But it, but it was worthwhile. I mean, the Ireland cricket community will descend upon Lords over the next few days. They'll all come over and fill the stands. It'll be a beautiful thing. As they should. Um, and, yeah, we saw the Ireland players out there getting their photos done and all the rest of it yeah. earlier. We saw England out there doing their warm-ups and, and we had a little chat, just a, a brief chat with Lorcan Tucker and Mark Adair. Maybe we'll go to Mark first because I liked his observation about last time he was here in 2019. Yeah, it's actually a little bit refreshing. Um, you know, you still have the, the excitement of, of playing at Lords. You still have the excitement of playing a test match against England, but... You walk into the sheds and you see someone sitting in your seat and you, you get to move them out of the way because that's that's your seat now. It's it's where you played. It's it's where you sat. It's where you played. And um, yeah, a little bit of pulling rank in there involved, which is good. But um, no, the lads are loving it. I think it's really nice to see the excitement of everyone going around, uh, especially the guys that have never played here, never been here. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's a good week for them as well. So Mark Adair there, and here's Lorcan Tucker, who's been a revelation for the Irish side over the last couple of years, talking about his century on Test debut. I think my dad's big on that, on the history of the game and stuff, and I think Test cricket's really where that's at. I think we play so much one day, and, and T20 cricket, you can kind of lose yourself in the modern excitement of the game, but there is so much history, and all those people who've gone before you are what makes it special today, I think. So to be a part of a group like that, I think it's, it's brilliant for me, I think, just to have it, and it'll be with me for both the rest of my career and the rest of my life. Lorcan Tucker and Mark Adair getting, uh, getting pumped up, getting fired up. for. Uh, I, I liked how careful Mark Adair was as well when you <laughs> talked to him about you know, having the wood over to Joe Root and he was like, I will absolutely never say that. Please never say that. Please never credit those words to me. <laughs> Don't do it. Well, it is true to say that he was the bowler who completed Johnny Bairstow's pair here at Lords as well mm -hmm. in 19, got Root out twice, got mm -hmm. Bairstow out for four in the game they beat them in. At, um, at Southampton uh, in a one day or three years ago. So he has got great form against England, played in the county system. So, mm -hmm. yeah, one to watch, especially when coming down from the pavilion and gets that natural movement back to the right hand. Uh, uh, and those full interviews are on the Cricket Island socials and all the rest of it. Yep. Now, your knee, I did see you fall down a grandstand before oh, um, and end up in great pain. <laughs> so I'm going to – I need the update on how the – the half marathon went, how everybody else went in Edinburgh over the weekend. Who got around the course? What's the load? Everybody. Everybody got around the course. I'm extremely proud of what the weekend represented, both as like a final word activity, as a Lord's Taverners fundraising exercise, and just kind of like the pursuit of completing a half marathon or a marathon in, in the case of um, uh, Matt Blacker and, and Hayley Fuller who went around the whole 42 kilometres. So, yeah, we, we, we kicked off on the Friday night. We all, most of us got in on the Friday and had a, a lovely meal with the local Lord's Tabs reps from, from Scotland, which was cool. I think you meant to have your big meal two nights out and we made the most of that. We had like, right, we had so much food. Carb loading. We carb load big yeah. time, um, carb loaded I should say. And then on the Saturday, we, we gathered on the Saturday to watch Abs, who played in your final word 11 side right. in Sydney in January. He's mm -hmm. based in Edinburgh. Yep. We went to watch his side play 
a little bit of their game in the meadow there. His his dreamy left arm wrist spin well, um, sa- off one step. Sadly, I didn't get to see him bowl because the game, they, the league game, they were all out for 31 and they played a T20 <laughs> afterwards. So they were league leaders having not lost a game and the side who hadn't won a game yet rolled them for 31. Wow. But what it did do... A great equaliser. So he didn't get to bowl at all in I'm defense. not sure. Or, or I didn't get there in time okay. to watch the league game. They played a T20 where it was like one over each or something like that, pub rules type thing. Mm-hmm. And they were one short, so Pat McKeon... Got the chance to play, which he was thrilled about. Pat, who like was born in in Scotland, but very much an Australian, mm-hmm. um, growing up and, and now back living in London, but came up right. for us for the week. We've described him as our Scottish correspondent in the past. Yeah, so all of these names are people who are listeners to the show and, yeah. and ended up getting involved with what we're doing. That's right. Here. And so we watched Abs, and then uh, uh, Will Palmer, who's a massive Coventry fan. Coventry were playing Luton Town for the last spot in the Premier League mm-hmm. through the playoffs and the devastation of losing on penalties. So um, I, I had to leave by that point to put the girls to bed but a number of our final word flock were there to console and comfort will when that all went to pot knowing that he had a half marathon to run first thing the next day and there we were meeting at stupid o'clock on the sunday morning knowing knowing what was ahead of us i think Mm -hmm. i I felt a a greater degree of anxiety uh, do you have to start really early is do they yeah eight o'clock jump for the half but you've got to be there quite early to not register but you know dump your stuff and and in theory go for a wee but the queue for the toilets was so long that I didn't get to do that. So I started both feeling very nervous about my knee. Uh-huh. I didn't get to do much prep in the last fortnight because it was just too much. I yeah. told you on the show last week that I was sort of doing these mini fitness tests and I was right. coming up short in like all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that plus knee. Do you then just have to piss yourself on the course? Is that the I thought about, understanding? I, I thought about going to Paula Ratcliffe um, who um, who did something like that famously once in the London I read, Marathon. Apparently it's just all like distance runners do that. If you yeah. need to, like you're not going to stop in, if you're no, running a marathon or something so i like that there's kind of a bell curve where it's like if you're really unprofessional (laughs) you piss yourself (laughs) at work in the middle of the bell curve you don't piss yourself at work but then if you go right to the other end of professionalism if you're completely professional you do piss yourself at work again well i I could have and maybe should have because Mm. it said on the loudspeaker just before we jumped the first bathrooms are two miles in i'm like okay despite the fact that I'm nearly pissing myself on the start line, I can rationalise this. Mm -hmm. I can run two mile with a heavy bladder Mm -hmm. and sort things out and did, but there was a queue and a massive queue. So my clock time had eight minutes added to it from where I pulled off after two mile, which was frustrating because I ran a 206. But I think... um, you know, uh, spiritually, I ran sure. a one fifty eight. Right, morally, but you did get a nice break. <laughs> yes, to catch well, your yeah, true. I didn't feel like I needed it after two no. miles. I was just getting into my groove. And actually, the third mile was a was a tough one to, mm. to get my momentum. Would that be the right word? Get my rhythm going mm. again. But I was absolutely chuffed, you know, having um, so many people there watching as well. And my knee did give me grief, but not enough to consider pulling out and um, having my girls there as well. It was pretty cool. And knowing that we were doing it, you know, for the right reasons with the right people, it was, I'll just run through the, the crew we had there, by the way. I think it's worth acknowledging everyone by name. So Sean McGiven, the Unforgiven, who had um, Killian and Anna, his two kids there as well. I think he ran a 142, blitzed it, outstanding. Wow. Matt Blackout, who ran the marathon later in the day, Ran it in just over three hours. He hasn't ran a three-hour marathon before, but you never would have known. The smile on his face was beaming. He's such a, a lovely guy, very smart guy as well. Pat McKeon, I've touched on him already. He was best on ground later on, which later on, jumping forward a bit here, we, we ended up at a, at a nightclub on a bank holiday Sunday, which, was a, which had a ball pit upstairs for adults, which meant a whole bunch of uh, young Scots mm. were like WWF 
um, wrestling moves on each other. I've been to um, an adult ball pit before. It's different to what you might imagine. Yes, exactly. Yes, Haley made that point. Uh, that, that, it, uh, that she recommended it, having okay. done the marathon as well. Sure. <laughs> um, make your own joke, finish your own joke. But I couldn't move very far because by that point I really had cramped up. But no, that that was Pat was in his element there, throwing himself around. Lovely guy who's going to be playing cricket with us through the summer, I'd imagine. Um, Tom Cooper, who was there with Beth, um, his first half marathon, having injured himself pretty badly mm-hmm. last year playing football. Not Al- the Netherlands, Tom Cooper. No, different Tom Cooper. Uh, Ali. Price. Uh, so we, we've heard of Dan Price, who's mm-hmm. helps run the final word cricket games before. Great young batter, wicketkeeper. His dad, Jeff, who helped me play on Lords last year as part of his side here, which was pretty cool. Um, Jeff's wife, Ali, who's turning 50 this year, has made a list of 50 things she wants to do. One of them was a half marathon and she ran it in, um, the clock said, two hours and 10 seconds. Her watch said, one hour, 59 and 50 seconds. We're going with the watch. We're okay. not going with the official yeah. timing there. She's no. having the two-hour half marathon, believe me. She was in great spirits afterwards. Hayley Fuller ran a PB. That's her fifth marathon. The first time she's breached four hours, so three hours, 55. It, it is known as a fast marathon track. It's... Okay. Um, Hard and flat and fast, like the Wacker in 1989 kind of thing. But she made the very most of those favourable conditions. And, yeah, she's a machine. She did the London Marathon as well for us about a month or so ago. Jay Pratt-Jones, his first half marathon, he got under two hours comfortably. We'll see him again for the full marathon, I reckon. He strikes me as the kind of guy, Joe, who Mm -hmm. has a full marathon Mm -hmm. in him. Paul Murphy. Two two last names, two halves of the marathon. (laughs) Uh, He'll put a hyphen in the middle and run 42k. Both Joe and Paul are based in Edinburgh. Paul Murphy was the first to the line from our crew in the half. He ran it in just over an hour and a half. Brilliant stuff and did a great job with fundraising as well for us. Mentioned Will already. Will and his wife, Claire, and their daughter Holly were with us. He said to me, I'll run it at about 2.15. I haven't done much prep. Hour 56, did it easy. And afterwards, it was the Claire and Will show. So I mentioned that Will had that chastening experience watching Cov lose in a penalty shootout at Wembley the day before. Went to the pub after. We found a pub that was suitable because they don't let kids into pubs in, in Scotland, evidently. And after about an hour or two or whatever it was, we saw a piano in the back and I had a look and said, and you know, ask if you want to play it. And so Claire did because Claire's a musician. Will's also got some training on the piano and they both just dominated. It was brilliant and it included, why not, let's drop it in, a sing-along, which I haven't heard before. So that was very special. That was kind of the end of the afternoon before we broke off before getting together later on. You can hear the, the vocals there of Claire and towards the very end, that's Will taking over and, uh, yeah, splendid stuff. Pete Simmons, that's his third half marathon. He's originally from Adelaide, so we spent about an hour at lunch afterwards talking about footy in the 1980s and 1990s and Darren, Darren Jarman's mm-hmm. uh, delivery into the 50. Um Matthew Jones, who's Hayley Fuller's partner, he'd never run anything in his life. He prepared for the 10K and did a super job on the Saturday morning, so the first of the, the runners there. And I already mentioned Abs, who, who came along, um, and we watched him play cricket. He really helped us through the weekend, make sure we were at the right places. Had his dog, Hildy, um, with him. My daughter, Winnie, was all over Hildy the whole weekend, wanted to be near the dogs. So that was really cool, having such a kind and welcoming person uh, in his city of Edinburgh originally from Australia, grew up in Australia, but knows every corner of Edinburgh, so it seems, and we'll hopefully see him again soon. And I, and I say that advisedly because, Jeff, 
it didn't take long for us to start talking about the next opportunity to go on a mm-hmm. final word trip. And I think we've kind of landed it. There is a week in August between the 21st and the 24th, which I can do around mm-hmm. work. It's the Edinburgh Fringe. The Lord's Tabs are playing a game up there on the 23rd and Abs thinks he can get us a game on the 22nd. So I'm thinking final word 11, cricket tour, blended with a fringe trip, mm-hmm. a few nights of comedy, a couple of days of cricket. So I'm not going to say we're definitely doing it, but I feel like this is the kind of thing we have enough time to organise. I might be able to grow a fringe by then. It might be <laughs> yeah, my personal fringe festival. That, that's the first thing you're getting noticed for is everywhere in the press box today, like, where's your hair where's gone? Your hair? Where's, where's your, your hair? hair gone? Well, I'm like, well, I cut it off because it, it's going to come back. I have, I have the rare luxury of, um, of many of my contemporaries that, um, that, that they don't have that I can get rid of it and return to the, my previous condition. So we'll keep raising money for the tabs uh, at the same link in the show notes. We're up to about 6,000 GBP. We smashed through our target of five grand a, a couple of days before. That included Matt Blacker running at London with Hayley Fuller, Richard Bond McNally running two marathons, one at London, mm-hmm. one at Manchester, Vijay Kumar in Germany. We had Jackson Bradley in Nashville and all together, and, and Sonia Twig, who's downstairs right now working um, at the Hackney Half last week. So we're, we're chuffed to have done what we've done. It was a, a big deal for a lot mm-hmm. of us. Uh, and I, I wouldn't have wanted to have spent a long weekend with anyone else. Uh, and last but not least, Ed Edgecombe uh, and his wife, Caitlin, and their beautiful daughter, Jean, uh, had Rach and me and the girls stay with them in their place in Edinburgh across the weekend. And Ed's been a, a great supporter of the pod for a long time too. So thanks to him and, and for everyone for making us feel so welcome. We've been talking about marathons for a long time on this show. It's been a marathon, marathon season. And so it, it comes to its end. It does. Maybe you'll start talking about marathons around about March next year. We'll um, do it again. I'm convinced we will do it next year with 50 people rather than 15. So Mm -hmm. um, if you are that way inclined, uh, start thinking about it now. All right. Uh, Shall we move on to something else? Let's do it. A little bit of Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. How do you like that, Lords? Yeah, it's a little bit of Australian (laughs) expressiveness taken over the place. Now, Nerd Pledge is a game. It's a game that we play with nice people on the internet, like the ones who do all the marathon running. Almost everybody that you mentioned there is, is a Nerd Pledge patron person. So Nerd Pledge works like this. People fund the program by sending in contributions to us that are not normal amounts of currency. They are specific numbers that relate to cricket in some way and we have to work out what the number means. This is a Nerd Pledge revisit. Okay. Um, because I see nothing in the notes, which no. would suggest you've been up to something. I've been up to something. I'd, I'd, I'd want to make sure that you don't get a glimpse of this before I go through it because it is very enjoyable and that's why I wanted to bring it onto this show. So some months ago when you and I were sitting in a, a bathtub in Port Ferry recording an episode. <laughs> um, it's our OnlyFans episode. It's our OnlyFans special. It's it's all online. You can, uh, you can enjoy that at your leisure. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was a very nice place. They they put they, they didn't put me and Adam in the honeymoon suite. They just put me in the honeymoon suite, yes. the wedding suite, whatever it was called. So we 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 had our own rooms, but we did hop into the bath at one point. Now, we talked about a number from Max Gillespie, and it was three dollars and eleven cents, and it had a sort of mathematically cryptic clue that we couldn't make any headway with and this is a revisit because where I, where where it goes is interesting so max sent through a follow up to say that $3.11 meant 311 is the cap number of a player who's achieved this particular statistical feat the most number of times. Nathan Lyon recently achieved one example of this feat in India and Max said, think about bowling figures that just look good. So I thought, okay, this will be fairly straightforward. I'm looking at Nathan Lyon in India. He took a couple of bags of wickets. 
and just look good, what do you what do you, what I, you? I think it's going to be wickets for a round number because I know Lyon's taken an eight for 50. Okay. That, that's my first start. And yep. was it the case that Lyon, when he took his seven for an indoor, eight he for an took, indoor? He took an eight for an indoor. Was it very tidy there too? Was it an eight for 100 or something? Couldn't have been low, low scoring match. So not not quite. So he, yes, there was the eight for 50 Bangalore, Bangalore the previous yep. time, but that wasn't on the most recent tour. He took a couple of notable returns. One was the five for 67 in Delhi. So I thought figures that just look good. Oh, sequential. Well, it could five, be that. Six, seven. It could be five, six, seven. But I thought initially, I thought maybe he means you took a bag of wickets, but you lost the game. Like your figures just look good. Oh, okay, right. So is it just look good, or is it just look good? Because the emphasis makes things very different. And I looked around at say, you know, but there are hundreds of players who've taken lots of wickets in a loss. You know, if yeah, you're looking at fivers yeah. in losses, like Murley would have heaps of them. That's uh, not. It didn't. It seemed like too broad a statistical category to be this here. The other notable return for Nathan Lyon in India was eight for sixty-four, and eight for sixty-four feels kind of satisfying to me when I look at it because, well, aside from being eight wickets, divisible, it's a square root. Square, ah, that's it. Okay, square root. Eight eights is sixty-four. Well, it's the square. Eight is the yep. square of eight to the power of whatever. Eight to the power of two. In one direction, hmm. it's a square root. I don't remember which direction that is, but eight times eight is 64. Like nine times nine is 81. So if you took nine for 81, oh, that that's would be nice. a square root. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I thought, okay, okay. Seven for 49s, your yeah. six for 36s, your five right, for 25s. Right, right, right. So, so and, and it could be a two for four, it could be a one for one, right? So cap number 311, small number of candidates, West Indies bat Vishal Singh never took a first class wicket, let alone a test wicket. Strike him off. Trevor Chappell never took a test wicket either, which oh. is interesting. Now, that leaves us with um, Big Vernon Philander, King of the Castle Lagers, or Alec Bedser. Five for 25 on the boo for Vernon, wasn't it? Mm, Close. Vernon, it was a five for 26 maybe. On oh, that that feels like something from that game. Yeah. Well, might have taken five for 25 here at Lords as well in 2012. He took five for bugger all. I can't remember exactly yeah. what it was. but he So he never took a six for 36, okay. which would be a square, or a five for 25. He did take okay. a four for 16 against England at Centurion in 2019 when he beat up Joe Root's team, bowled them out for 181, big win. But that's the only square in his figures. And so I thought, before I went on, I thought, okay, well, how common is this? How often does this happen? Because this isn't something you can like, unless you unless I do the whole database build thing of everybody's bowling figures, it, it's, not, it's not something you can look up. So I looked through the top contenders manually. Okay, what's, what's Murali got? He took 800 wickets. He's only got one square root bowling performance, which is a six for 36, only one. But he hasn't bowled the most innings because he took big bags of wickets. So I looked at who's bowled the most innings. James Anderson, 333 innings, never had a square root bowling performance, not mm. once. Stuart Broad, 297 innings, never had a square root never bowling a performance. Root. <laughs> never had <laughs> Well, he's had one in his team, but... <laughs> 630 innings between them, the great England pair, never had a square root bowling performance. Never Shane, had a square root between them. Nope. Shane Warne, you would have thought, had, would have had plenty, <laughs> but he no, he got a 4 for 15 but not a 4 for 16. Glenn McGrath never did it. 
So, I mean, you know, Chuck Kellis, like these, the, the people who've had the most bowling innings in Test cricket. So it's rare. It's very, I, like I thought this would be not that uncommon, yeah. um, but it's much yeah. rarer than I thought. So then I thought, okay, what about one for one? That's going to be the cheat code because there's got to be a bunch of players who've taken one for ones when mm-hmm. they've come on and bowled one over. And they are your part-timer. So Sanath Jayasuriya did it twice. Joe Root did it twice. Root, 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 if you will. Kane Williamson's done it twice. Two wickets for four runs, Tillicrat and Adilshan did it twice. But all of those four, the man with two phones, Joe Surya, <laughs> Joe Root, Kane Williams. So I found out, Dilshan. by the way, the other week we were talking about something or another on Nerd yeah. Pledge. I think it was Nerd Pledge, or Storytime rather. Might have been, I think it was. My first game of cricket I'd been to at the MCG in 1989 Boxing mm. Day. It was Sanat Jayasuri at and I just sort of skipped over that in the scorecard. Huh. Made 60-odd. Only yeah, had one phone at that point. Yep. Um, maybe he didn't have any phones. It wasn't really a mobile phone time. He was a more analogue kind of cat. Mm, he, he was. He had to telegram him. He had two telegram accounts. These days it just means you're trying to organise <laughs> some kind of fascist rally. Uh, so, and one signal account. Okay, so the point is the players with one-for-ones or two-for-fours who've done that twice none of them have any other square root bowling performances in their career. So two is the highest number that I've been able to find that anybody's got in their career to this point. So we come back to Alec Bedser, who is the other test cap 311. Never took more than seven wickets in an innings. Best figures, seven for 44. Trent Bridge, Ashes Test, 1953. But he does take another seven for, and it is a seven for 49. So mm. now I'm interested, right? That's against India at Lords in 1946. It's a very final word bag, by the way. He gets Vijay Merchant, <laughs> Vijay Hazare, Lala Amanath, Tiger Pataudi, and C.S. Naidu amongst his seven for 49. What's that old play school song? Bags, bags, <laughs> bags, bags, bags. They're very useful things. Because if we didn't have bags, what would we do to put? Um, important things in. It's a Sydney lawyer's song. <laughs> it's, a, it's a PWC song. Um, so, okay, so he's got that seven for 49 and I'm going, all right, give me something else, Alec Betzer. Six for 36? No, he's got a six for 37. Uh, he doesn't have a five for 25. He doesn't have a four for 16 and I feel like this is fizzling out on me because I already know he's not on the list for, of one for ones. And he's not on the list of two for fours because I've already looked them up. And then here we go. He's got a three for nine. Hang on a minute. He takes three for nine bowling on the mud in Brisbane after a big storm comes through Brisbane to start the Ashes Test in 1950. And then he takes three for nine again four years later at Manchester, Pakistan, following on before they get saved by rain. Rain gives, rain takes away. That makes three sets of square root bowling figures in the career of Alec Bedzer in what I am pretty sure, given the research I've done, is the most number of square root bowling performances in the career of a test bowler. Cap number 311, Alec Bedzer. Well, given he lived with his twin for his whole life, I'm not. <laughs> part of me might have thought if he said he had no square roots, <laughs> I would have believed that too. Um, okay. Well, so that uh, has got to be Max Gillespie. Max Gillespie, number. what a beauty! Round um, the houses, round the houses, indeed. Okay, well, if you can top that, mm-hmm. you can let us know in the usual way. Which, well, these days is through Discord, but yep. you can DM us uh, on Patreon or get in touch on FinalWordCricket at Gmail Sign up, go to patreoncom slash word. Please do. You can support the show, join in uh, marathons, have meetups, make friends, get on our chat page, um, and just have a generally great cricketing time on the internet. 
it, it, just to finish that last point, that that's the real thing about the weekend. It's how many people are going to end up being great mates, and so has been the case since we had the ability to bring people together. That's all happened through Discord and through Patreon, and no better time. There's a spreadsheet doing the rounds where everybody who's got a ticket to the Ashes, uh, men's or women's, uh, are going to organise meetups every night. It's lovely stuff. It's totally wholesome. No cynicism allowed. Yep. Um, be part of that. Patreon.com forward slash the final word. Let's have a little break and then we'll get into the IPL final with your friend and mine, Bharat Sundarason. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon here at headquarters and uh, we have got a chat coming up with Bazalenko. Before we get there, you better tell us what actually happened in this final because, um, spoiler, we've already done the chat and we don't talk about the cricket at all. No, uh, which we sort of <laughs> knew would happen. That, was, that kind of wasn't the point. The final, the final was about Mahendra Singh Dhoni. Bharat is the authority on MSD. Maybe MSG as well. Who knows? MSG is fine now. Remember all those decades they demonised MSG in Australia, like you can't eat food with MSG in ah. it. Now it's fine. It was always fine. It was just racism. It was Bad like, PR. Don't eat Chinese food because we don't want you to go to Chinese restaurants. Okay. It's fine. It's just salt. It's just monosodium glutamate. It's just a kind of salt. Everything's the things fine. you learn. Things you learn. You know, red wine. Probably okay. Red wine <laughs> gives you wings. Fine. <laughs> it's been known to. Now, right, the final The final was hilarious because it took three days to stage uh, a T20 final. The first night got rained off and I liked the playing conditions that said as long as you get on by five past midnight, you can still have a five over a side game. <laughs> Always catering for the young people. <laughs> that will finish at around 1.30 in the morning or something. And then the next night they get on with enough time to have 20 overs of the first innings. They get three balls into the chase, then it rains for several more hours and they don't get back on until about quarter to midnight and so it finishes at two in the morning after a 15-over run chase. This was the most extraordinarily laborious way to try to get a game on. But they did get there in the end. They got 35 of their overs in. So the Gujarat Titans, the ones who were leading the ladder all year, they had a... They had a kind of St Kilda 2009 experience. <laughs> you know, they were they were on top all the way through, and then the best just, team all year. Then they just got bumped off in the knockouts when it really mattered. Ritterman Saha, we remember his work fondly behind the stumps, made a half century at the top of the order. Shubman Gill made a quick 39. Sai Sudarshan, this is like the ideal T20 game. 96 or 47 balls, hits half a dozen sixes and eight fours, and then gets subbed out of the game so they can bring a bowler in. Perfect. Perfect. Almost, if you just turned up, that yeah, would have been that's a dream come true stuff. Yeah, but yeah, make your runs, off you go. Hardik Pandya don't have to hang around till half past one if you've already finished your game. <laughs> they batted the everybody. Hotel. They batted everybody. So Tushar Despande, who led the wicket taking for much of the season, went for fifty six or four overs to give you a flavour of the kind of carnage that was happening out there. Only five bowlers used. No one went for less than nine and over. And then in the chase, like I said, three balls into the chase, it rains, they get back on, they're told they've got 15 overs to chase a revised target of 171. Contributions from everybody, no huge scores, but uh, Gayaquad makes runs quickly at the top, Demon Conway, Shivam Dube, Ajinki Rahane comes out and scores at a strike rate of over 227 off 13 balls, no big deal, Good go on play the World Test Champs. Yeah. Ambati Raidu, who's retiring at the end of the season, 19 off 8 balls. I think he's older than me. 
The only player who doesn't make double figures is MSD, who's out first ball, which we'll come to with Barrett in a minute. And then How did he get out? He slogged a catch. What else are you supposed to do? I mean, they needed like 40 off the last three overs and, and were going absolutely hell for leather. And then Jadeja comes out and, you know, of course he does. He 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 whacks a couple. Moed Sharma bowls a few good balls in the last over. They need 10 to win off the last two balls. And Jadeja goes six down the ground. Four to fine leg wins the game. I think that the most impressive part of the last two balls, which I acknowledge are the only two balls of the game that I watched on the clips yesterday, was that he checked his shot for six straight. Like he backed his swing, backed his timing more to the point. Mm-hmm. You don't need to hit the ball 150 metres to get six runs. Well, no one hits it 150 metres. But you know the point I'm trying to make. Yes, you don't need to try to hit it 150 metres. You need to clear the ropes. Yeah. And he yeah. did that by 10 metres and that was enough to put himself into a position where a ball that was, you know, missing leg stump, Missed his length, helped it on its way, fine leg inside the circle. And then I saw the, the shots from outside the stadium at Umdabad, how many of the fans sprinted straight out. I wouldn't have a clue why. Maybe because it was so bloody late, but ran out of the ground. It's, it's a wonderful viral clip that's been doing the rounds, of course, on, on social media in the usual way, where they where like within seconds of that ball going for four, they're sprinting out of the stadium mm-hmm. celebrating. It must be like a a cultural thing that they want to get out in the streets as quickly as possible. Get out in the street, get out where the action is. Maybe you, you can't celebrate as fully as you want inside the stadium. Bit of a run though. My recollection is when you leave that ground, yeah. between there and where you you know pick up your Uber or whatever it is or yeah. jump, there's no, I don't think there's any buses that take you straight to that gate. Mm. It's about 300 metres. So it's, you know, you've earned your... You've earned your, um, your flair when you get there. Yeah, it's a half marathon yes. <laughs> by the time you get through it. So that is what happened last ball um, as as per Jim Maxwell's Twitter bio, trust your swing. Yes. Trust your swing. So that's what Jadeja did. And let's get a little more of the flavour around it from Barrett's and Race. We're sat in the Warner stand at Lord's Brett Sunderason. He's down the Zoom screen. He'll be with us in a matter of days. But before we move to the Ashes, let's talk about the man who has the Dhoni touch, uh, which is you. You're his biographer, and they've won the IPL again, the Chennai Super Kings. Uh, Welcome back to the final word. Tell us all about it. Yeah, uh, firstly... <laughs> for, for those listening on the podcast and not watching on YouTube, uh, Brett has got his book uh, up against his face, his best-selling many times, uh, what's the word, reprinted mm-hmm. uh, biography on, on the man himself. Uh, t- tell us how you interpreted the events at, uh, at the Umdabad Stadium a couple of days ago, or last night rather. Uh, look, uh, one thing about MS Dhoni is uh, he's such a big believer in his own destiny. Uh, you speak to anyone who's known him from, not just after he became a cricketer, from a young age. Uh, he's he He's one of those people, he believes that, look, Everything in my life that happens is destined and I am in control of it. So you see how he captains cricket teams on the field. You see some of the decisions he takes off the field. They are all, uh, a lot of people think they're based on gut and just uh, it's intuition. But I think it's beyond that. He's such a strong believer in that. And which is one of the main reasons uh, he manages to be so balanced. You know, he's won so many trophies uh, in the IPL as India captain back in the day. The reason he's able to not emote so much is, in, in a way, when things happen, he feels that he he kind of expects them to happen, if that makes sense. And that's, uh, you know, the example I always give people is uh, uh, the part of India he comes from, palmistry and astrology is a big deal. And uh, he never shows his palm to anyone because he says, what are you going to tell me about my life or my destiny? 
that isn't already scripted that isn't already written and <laughs> i think that really sums up everything about ms dhoni and not just as as a cricketer as a person and you saw that uh, kind of you know come to bear yesterday he he comes out to bat and he gets out first ball the incredible cheers that welcome him to the crease kevin peterson is losing his shit on commentary uh, and it's what it's well past 130 am <laughs> india time but uh, you know there are 80000 people still up including kids who are uh, i don't think your style of parenting will allow your kids to be awake past 8 pm call or i'm not sure <laughs> whether 130 is ever allowed uh, but yeah and then he gets out but he just his his reaction after he gets sorry i mean lot has been said about his reactions after the game but just his reaction after he gets so it's so matter of fact like yeah i was aiming it slightly left of the fielder missed it so what it's still someone else will get the job done and that is ms dhoni in a nutshell everybody else's reactions that's what i'm interested in because it was just dhoni fest 2000 last mm. night how how is what is the magic of ms day that on a night when he uses five bowlers all of whom get absolutely spanked <laughs> nobody goes for less than nine and over and he gets out first ball It, everyone's still putting the title down to him. It's all down to him. It's the whole IPL season felt like a farewell tour. It's one of those, and not a farewell tour. More, I would say, it's like the farewell tour that Kiss have been on since 1997. Right? It feels like they, they, it'll never stop. <laughs> uh, there'll be many farewell tours. So wherever he's gone this year, uh, the because. again he plays the enigma so well you know he is an enigma yes that's what the book is all about but he also plays the enigma really well because he's never made a statement about retirement or whether he's moving on he never commits to anything in that sense he was even in his present post match presentation thing with harsha bogle yesterday he didn't say he's going to play next season he didn't say he's going to retire he basically laid all the cards on the table and it's like you pick whatever you want i'll pick mine and i think as a result the expectation all around india is because the ipl went back to being home in a way and he was playing in chennai for the first time in 4 years that this would be his final season everybody else decided for him uh, and so we saw like every time he walked out to bat ravindra jadeja is going out and record and saying everybody for the first time in my career people want me to get out so that they can see ms dhoni bat uh, all that just kind of added up to this farewell tour like feel uh, which also you know added to the whole uh the narrative in the chennai super kings dressing room that we are going to do it for ms dhoni so the fact that he was the guy leading them it's not that he was retired or it was a <laughs> it, like it was farewell to not a retirement tour so uh, i think that just is ms dhoni right he's got that presence on the field he's just uh, and even the little things i i put this out on twitter uh, this morning you see everything's done uh the trophy has been lifted but before he goes and joins his team he calls the grounds people in and poses for a picture with them like he takes the initiative to do that because without them this 3 day ipl final would not have happened i mean they took some it was similar to you me and uh, the three of us on top of the terrace in gol they really did uh you know put a pri- put no price on their lives to keep the show going uh, like we did with our commentary box uh, and those are the little things that make ms dhoni so great for me
So Ravinda Jadeja dedicated the victory to Dhoni, as you'd expect. I think most people were following a, a similar kind of uh, script or theme. Yep. Um, Jadeja, two balls to go, ten runs to win. I mean, a lot's been written about Jadeja and the way his career has gone into turbo drive, or he's turbocharged it, rather, in the last few years across the formats. I mean, he, he's a guy who seems to be getting better with age in both disciplines. Yeah, across all formats. And uh, you go back to the first ever IPL final, 2008. Shane Wan calls him a rock star. And uh, you know, at this point, very few people in India had heard much about Ravindra Jadeja. Yes, he had played in the Under-19 World Cup, uh, but nothing beyond that. Uh, and it was really sh the late, great Shane Wan who put Ravindra Jadeja on the map, like he did a lot of young Indian cricketers back in the day. Uh, and he plays a biggish role in Rajasthan Royals winning that title all those years back. And he's got an interesting relationship with the IPL. Two years later, he mm -hmm. tries to negotiate his own deal, gets suspended for a year, um, and then becomes a part of the MS Dhoni's Chennai Super Kings. And uh, then he suddenly is named captain a couple of years ago when MS Dhoni moves away and then Chennai have a bad season. And uh, he, oh, the captaincy is taken away from him and given it back to MS Dhoni or MS Dhoni takes it back. And all that talk to last season that he's done with Chennai, that's it, he's insulted, he's humiliated, he's going to move away. And then reports coming out that it was Dhoni, who else but Dhoni, who walks up to Jadeja and says, Nay, nay, Jaddo, Abhi, nay, not now. And then he comes back and he does what he did last night. Uh, but he's a special cricketer, we're all really big fans of him. Uh, just, he's such a natural, right? Everything he does on the field. And that six that he hit, I mean, it was a brilliant over from Mohit Sharma till that point, wasn't it? All he had to do was miss the Yorker by half an inch. And Jadeja, just the way he kind of got under the ball and lifted it over uh, uh, mid-on or long-on, was uh, quite a sensational shot. And that kind of led to the last ball, uh, you know, Mohit Sharma missing line and length and him being able to put it away for four. I mean, he's such a special cricketer. And you're right, I mean, he's been around for so long, but it looks like we still haven't seen the best of Ravindra Jadeja. And the, the, the Dhoni moment, it's such a Dhoni moment to be like, oh, you've all thought I'm on this big retirement tour. Mm. Psych! <laughs> uh, not that I'm not, but maybe I'm maybe. not. Oh, who knows? Oh, maybe you'll have to wait six months. Oh, um, and, and then also handing the trophy to Ambati Raidu, who is retiring. So, you know, picking one of his players who had an influence and, and making sure that he got his moment as the departing player as well. And just on longevity, specifically that comment about if he were to play again, it'd be his gift to the people of Chennai. Oh, yeah. Do you think that this is a foregone conclusion now that he'll go around one more time? I'm not so sure. I think um, he, he, even though he spoke about, oh, I'll see how my body goes. And, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of, again, like I said earlier, he plays the enigma beautifully. Uh, you know, even the way he built up to saying that I'm not retiring. He starts off by saying, circumstantially, you would think that this is the perfect time to say goodbye. And then the crowd starts going, and then he says, but that doesn't mean I'm going to retire. That's the easy way out. The hard way out is to continue. And then the crowd goes up again. And that's just classic MS Dhoni pulling <laughs> off, uh, you know, a wrestling promo, Adam. You'll appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's a classic baby yes. face, isn't he? But I think he, he, he'll wait till the auction. I think uh, the, with Ambati Raidu retiring, and we should do a podcast on Ambati Raidu himself, whose career spans a longer than MS Dhoni. I mean, he was supposed to be the next big thing in the early 2000s before MS Dhoni was even heard of. And with MS Dhoni gone, I'm sorry, Ambati Raidu gone and Moin Ali and Jadeja not having had great seasons with the battle, the, the very end, of course, Jadeja winning them the title. 
Uh, I think MS Dhoni might see where Chennai is as a team. He it does mean a lot to him. The only times I've ever seen him emote on the field is when he plays for Chennai, even more than when he plays for India. Uh, it doesn't mean that he it means more to him, but that's just how his relationship has been with Chennai. Uh, I think if for cricketing reasons Chennai need him. I think he'll hang around. Otherwise, you'll see a, an Instagram post or a tweet very, very late at night uh, saying that he's retiring. Baz, always great to get you on whenever something Dhoni-related plays out, as it did uh, last night at the IPL. Uh, it'll be wonderful. The Dhoni touch again. Hold <laughs> it up one last time. You sold millions, mate. You're, you've done well out of that. Uh, we'll see you in the UK uh, after your long flight. Can't wait. I can't wait to see you guys. I'll be there right next to you. Thanks to Barat, who'll be with us in, as we say, I think he gets here on Thursday. We're recording this on Tuesday. I've already signed him up to play cricket with me and you as well on Sunday and half the Australian press pack, actually, because Sunday is a, a day off in the schedule. They're here. We talked before about trusting one swing. The Aussies were doing that as foreshadowed a couple of weeks ago. What do you know? On the weekend when they were staying up in from being near Liverpool on, on the coast there. Um, a number of them, according to Will McPherson's report in the paper on Saturday, were at Royal Birktar, which is a, an open championship venue over the years. So they enjoyed themselves there. I saw Nathan Lyon and Todd Murphy were in a in a box watching Manchester United on the final day of the, the Premier League season on Sunday with one of David Beckham's kids in, in the row yeah. in front of them, which is pretty cool for them. <laughs> Speaking of the Beckhams, they're off to Beckenham. Do you like that? Next for their... Uh, mm. their uh, Beckons to Beckenham. They're Beckon to the Beckenham. For their it's uh, such a centre wicket practice like stuff. 1990s kid thing to do to like come to England and watch Manchester United. I know, right? Yeah. And they probably had the half half scarves on as well. <laughs> um, it, it looks like Todd Murphy was quite involved, so he might be a Manchester United fan. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I mean, he pictures. would be because of the age that he was. You sure. remember when United were just the shit? Like Absolutely. they were the first sort of global football brand. Well, it's the same here, right? If you're a man, I've detected with my Manchester United fans who. Who they, they, didn't they say their their followership's mostly in Surrey or something like that mm-hmm. was the was the joke? Right. Or they you know they they got the train up from London each week. This is when they they went big, and it's a and I'll be corrected if I'm wrong here, but it was a big thing for Manchester United fans to say no 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 it, I'm before that. Mm. I, I don't count me in that lot. I'm a fan from before they went yep. huge in you know when the Premier League started and and they had that run of extraordinary success. Anyway, digression. England were also teeing up a golf weekend. After they finish this test match, they're going to Scotland, where we've just been, to play at St Andrews, if you don't mind. So they're going away. Do for a, a half three- marathon <laughs> yourself, <laughs> Up for a three-day golf trip, unsurprisingly, under the leadership axis of, uh, of uh, McCullum and Stokes, mm. who love, love their golf. They love their cricket, love their golf. So, so all golf boring. all the time as we build towards the ashes. And really, that's the only cricket news because, well, that's not quite true. We'll get to a a few team bits and bobs in a moment. But yes, the, the Aussies who are now off to, as we said, Beckenham for their uh, three or four days of centre wickets and facing each other, facing Michael Nisa, <laughs> facing mm. Sean Abbott and the two who've been brought into that extended squad before the World Test Championship final. But yes, there'll be no tour match. And in that weekend, when Australia are playing against India, England will be off playing golf. Mm, just, just do something else. Just get a better hobby. I don't know, go whale watching. I don't know. Go on. Go on. This is where you and I have a, 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 a departure. Like I love playing golf, so I've, I've got no issue with them playing golf. As I explained the other week, my my concern it, is that like has have have the you know if it's the have only the, have the, thing that you do. Like I remember a friend of mine who was doing some hiring and reading a bunch of resumes, and she was like, "I just really have this urge to explain to two hundred different 
men that liking coffee is not a personality trait. Oh, this is it. Well, someone it's, said it's, that of a, that, that's been a criticism leveled at some people who I who I won't uh, who I won't designate in our broader cricketing community that that coffee is not a personality. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it is interesting that golf maybe golf fits into it's that the absence of personality. It's like what you pour into the hole when there's nothing else there. I, I wouldn't quite go that far because they. This is the other side of it, right? So Stuart Broad, when talking about this topic, said that what McCullum has brought to the team is more than just letting them play with gay abandon in the fourth innings. It's like culturally he has enabled them to feel at peace with themselves and they love playing golf and they lean into that. It's a little bit the same with how late they go to the ground. If they don't need to be at the ground to field that morning, they can rock up whenever they want. And they view that as having helped them with their mindset about peak mm. performance when they need to peak. That's fine, right? Being late as a hobby, I'm interested in that. <laughs> that, is, that is like arriving at the time that I choose Great, all into that, just as long as it's not arriving at a golf course. Understood. Uh, well, anyway, that's where England will be. Uh, I mentioned squads before, the World Test Championship squads of 15 have been announced. So just a reminder, ICC events, you have to designate your 15. Yep. So even though Australia have 17 here, sure. for the Ashes that is, and that doesn't include Neister and, and Abbott, who we spoke about mm -hmm. last week, they had to cull it to 15. Right. So if the ICC says you have to run a women's program in your country, that's not actually a non-negotiable. You can just ignore that. But if they say you have to trim your squad to 15, you have to do that. It's in the playing conditions, you know. Uh, so the reserves will be Mitch Marsh and Matt Renshaw. But it does mean that they've got in the squad, I mentioned Todd Murphy before, they're never using a second spinner, which made me think why didn't they have Nisa as the 15th option so mm. that if... I mean, Hazelwood, we still don't really know the full story there, although yeah. he is in the squad. Um, Andrew McDonald yeah. was on radio last week on SEN saying that everything would need to go right um, for Hazelwood to be fit for that first test, the World Test Championship final, that is. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, I suppose if Scott Bowen stepped on a cricket ball, they could draft Nisa in because there is provision for an injury, injury sub. Although, if yeah. the reserves are Matt, Mitch Marsh and Matt Renshaw, I wonder whether they're restricted in who they can... Right mm. I hadn't, I hadn't thought what about if, that. What if, say, Josh Hazelwood and Scott Boland murder each other in some kind of, you know, <laughs> things boil over in competition for that final spot? Um, and yeah. then it's like, well, sorry, you're going to have to pick Todd Murphy. You have to pick me. Yeah, yeah I'm ready to serve if you've called upon. Yeah, so Todd Murphy's in, in the squad. Leg. But I have got one. I bowled last week and, and bowled up. really well. <laughs> so I'm just, I stress that it's, it's coming out really nicely. You'll get to see it firsthand on Sunday. But yeah, the, uh, the Nisro mission was picked up by a lot of people who listen to the podcast and who more generally have been tracking his progress over here. My point remains as it did last week. Nisa should just be in all the squads for Australia right now because he's bowling so well in this country. Sure. But they do have the flexibility as we get deeper into it to use him and yep. maybe bowl into better fit against India. And cool. maybe at the Oval where it can be a bit flatter and it can be a bit more like you want someone to yeah. bang a length. Well, I think for that it's more like India are more likely to play conventional, air quotes, test mm. cricket, whereas... England are going to baz ball against Australia, no mm -hmm. doubt, and maybe Boland might be just a snifter more susceptible to that. I'm not sure. Time will yeah. tell. Yeah. Whereas Nisa, with the swinging hooping ball, having bowled with the Dukes for four years, right. he'll, he'll be harder to attack, I reckon. I got the impression as well that for the World Test Championship final, part of the thinking was just desserts, as yes. in who's contributed over the last two years which is the qualification period. Hazelwood's hardly played in that time, which is... True. I mean, we haven't really noticed it because he's been in most of the squads and in most of the series, but then has got injured and has either played one game and disappeared or hasn't played at all. It's been test cricket where he's missed out a lot, where he's yeah. still been kind of available for most of the white ball stuff. Yeah, so yeah. he hasn't seemed like a long-term injury, but he's had 
three different side yeah. strain emissions now and 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 this and the soreness, achilles last time wasn't it in india yeah, um, that then ended up being you know the, the 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 side problems have recurred a bunch of times so and and boland has played more than hazelwood has in that period of time and nice hasn't played except for the two adelaide two in adelaide yeah so yeah in, in that sort of qualification period they you could understand they'd be they'd say well boland has contributed the most to getting Australia to this position and so you need to be rewarded for that and maybe the Ashes is a different selection criteria. Yeah, quite possibly. The other side of it being India where they've got Ishan Kishan confirmed as being in the squad. It was speculated upon a couple of weeks ago but he will replace formerly KL Rahul in the 15. Um, and outside of the squad, Surya Kumar Yadav is the one who's played Test cricket most recently. Interesting that uh, Yunadkat is still there. Uh, that weird injury he picked up at training where he got caught up in the net. So that that's a shoulder problem, serious shoulder problem, we were told, but he's still there. They're going to make a call on him later. Mm. And I can see a world where he plays, by the way. Point of difference, left arm. If they want to go four quicks and, and um, go with that Ashwin. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny that Axar Patel's in the squad. Axar Patel, I should say. But uh, he was what he would have been. I mean, if, if, if Jadeja and Ashwin were joint player of the series against Australia, mm-hmm. Akshar Patel's like the next most important player probably. But all for his runs. But all for his runs. And yet he won't get a start in this final, in yeah. the squad. But yeah, there are, well, they've got, there's so many different configurations you can pull apart for India, but I would say all of them include Ishan Kishan. So they have the flexibility to play Jadeja where they want. Yep. Shadal Dekers there, of course. Yumesh Yadav could be the spare seamer too. So they've got lots of good experienced options and yeah, uh, there's a reason why. They've been so hard to beat over here the last couple of times they visited. Well, that's not quite true, is it? Because they did get beaten 4-1 here in, in 2018, but they were far better than that. Like, it was mm. the first time we've seen India come to England and threaten both edges throughout with their quicks. And that was Bournemouth leading the attack, who's yeah. a notable omission from this side due to that ongoing injury problem he's got with his bum and his back and ankle and, and all the rest of it. And Mohamed Shami and Mohamed Siraj, sure, they've been playing IPL, but they've been a couple of the most effective bowlers in the tournament. Yep. And Shami's basically bowled test line and length throughout the IPL. Yes. You know, he's he's bowled in the power play, been really effective, and he's just hit that hard length time and again. So mm-hmm. he should be fairly well attuned to, to what he needs to do. I saw the pr- press release come out from Cricket Australia and thought of you immediately. Jimmy Pearson called up for one test. Jim Mentum. <laughs> so Jim Mentum. It's a bit like when Brad Haddon was called up for one test in India uh, all those years ago, 2013. Mm. But Pearson's coming over because English returns back to Australia in the middle of the series for the birth of a child. Yeah, so there's, I think it's the third test where they've they've factored in um, having Inglis missing for that period of time, which means Pearson is the backup of the backup, which means, you know, he's probably not going to play, but Graham Manu got an Ashes he test did, in yeah. 2009, was it? Yeah, Edgbaston 09 that was, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, it, all I'm saying is if Jimmy Pearson's here and Josh Inglis is gone, could you rule it out? Could you rule it out that maybe we hatch a plot to kidnap Alex Carey <laughs> just for a short period of time? It doesn't have to be a long time. I don't want to scare him. It doesn't have to be a, be a bag over the head situation. It doesn't have to be any threats. The but collar look, bomb thing. It just, it just <laughs> Fortress, was that that movie where they have the explosion? No, the colors. collar bomb was the um, yeah, no, I remember very the, Sydney thing in there uh, with the, with the uh, anyway. The, yeah. the, the, the ransom situation. Yes. But I think it was modelled on the film Fortress oh, right. where there was a high security prison and if you went more than like 50 feet away from it, your neck collar exploded right. and blew your head off. It what was, a way to go. So I'm, I'm, this is what I'm ruling that out. We are playing the rule out game with that for Alex Carey. All I'm saying <laughs> is this, on morning one of a test match, well, the test starts at 11 in yeah. England. Sure so does. the toss and the team.
saying he's going at 10.30, which means that he only needs to be missing from about, say, 9. If he was missing from 9 a.m. Didn't rock up. You've got to give him – you've got to give them time to notice that he's not there, right? Like you can't – you kidnap him at quarter past 10, they might not realise. You've got to kidnap him round about 9 o'clock or just before (laughs) 9 o'clock so that there's a good – hour and a half for them to realise that he's not there. Where is he? Looking everywhere, texted him, called the hotel, not there, not sure what's happening. No one's worried. There's no suggestion of foul play. It's just like, oh, maybe he's... I reckon they'd be worried. I suspect if he went missing two hours before a test match and was unaccounted for on the bus, that might be a small hitch in your plan. I don't think they start the test. They'd be a bit worried, but they might be like, maybe he's just had a massive night out and (laughs) something's gone awry. Always doing that, Alex Carey. Maybe he's fallen in the pool again. I don't know. We can't rule things out. So I think it's just short enough that if he vanishes at 9am and then he's returned by, say, 10.40. Yep. Teams are in. Can't do anything about it okay. at that point. Can't swap them back out. Maybe you need to wait till 11. Just Kind of like sh- the start of that TV show that's based in Norway where they kidnap yeah. the prime where the Russians kidnap the Prime Minister just for a few hours to make a statement. Okay. It's a bit like that. Maybe we'll get the Russians to I'm do I'm just it. thinking, well, maybe you need to wait till the first ball is bowled because they might make an exception oh, for a kidnap. Or he might be a bit rattled by the situation. <laughs> but well, so Concussion sub, sure. But wait till the first ball is bowled. I don't care. Look, if, if, if Jimmy Pearson gets subbed off, he's still played a test match. We could go Nancy Kerrigan. No, but that's no. a bit violent. Yeah, look, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to hamper. I want Alex Carey to play the fourth test. Right. I just don't want him to play the third test. So just to be clear, no baseball pad across the knees. No, there okay. will be no, no, not a hair on his head will be harmed. <laughs> his delightful little chin scar will not be added to. He's just got to go missing from nine a.m. to eleven a.m. eleven o one on the morning till the first ball is bowled, and then after that, you drop him off at the, you know, send him through the Alex Stewart gates or whatever. Okay. Where are we? will be in Leeds. So uh, we'll, Leeds. So we'll drop yeah. him off at the back of the Western Terrace at eleven o one, and he can go in and tell. Get him a about, pint on the way through. Yeah, and he can say, you know, and he'll be, oh no, no, they were surprisingly polite and pleasant. They chatted a lot about the centenary <laughs> test. I, I'm not sure who they were, but Derek Randall featured prominently. Anyway. Um, but, you know, we'll give him something to eat, give him something to drink, make sure he's comfortable and happy. Um, and, give him a footy. And, yeah, give him a footy to bounce, you know, play some, I don't know, some some some, some Darren Jarman highlights or something for him to get into. Maybe Manchester United. Was he into Manchester United? And whatever from his childhood makes him feel comfortable and at 11.01 he's back, no harm done, everybody's happy, Jimmy Pearson. Baggy green cap on his head. Happy days. What do you think? Sold. <laughs> Absolutely sold there. It feels trite to progress to another selection drama inside Australian cricket this week, but we we, we can't end this podcast without remarking upon Meg Lanning's absence uh, from the uh, upcoming Women's Ashes series, mm. the Aussie captain. The statement went out on Saturday morning saying there's a medical issue. No further information, but we know from reports that the treatment she's receiving has to be at home, so which is why she's not going to be flying to the UK. She led Australia in the most recent two women's Ashes wins over here in, in England in 2015 and 2019, 19 where they thrashed England, who only won one game in mm. that entire multi-format series. She was away last year, Jeff, with a mental health break. That followed the Commonwealth Games. She was back in time to lead Australia to uh, victory in the World T20 in, I guess it was January, February this yep. year. And uh, I suppose um, other than forwarding our best wishes to, to Meg, who we love watching play and love watching lead Australia, there will be a, a big hole for them to fill, even if they don't formally 
replace her owing to the fact that the A-side are in, are in town touring as well. Yeah, that's the thing. They'll have the A-team here, so so they won't need to, to replace her. Um, yeah, there's there's no other information about it, but it's not something that we want to go digging around. No. It's obviously not a mental health break because she was specific about that when it happened um, and it, there's obviously a degree of seriousness to it that makes you think, well, we'll leave her to do whatever she needs to do and, and send our best wishes her way as far as the impact on the Australian team. I mean, yes, you're losing a great player, um, but also this Australian squad is so deep that it doesn't really affect them that much. You know, they can replace her with half a dozen candidates who bring a lot with the bat and a lot of them can bowl as well. So there's, it's it's quite hard to weaken this Australian team at the moment given the depth that they'll have. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not um, it's not overstating things to say that the, the Australian A team could beat England on a good day as well. So um, there, there is that depth there at the moment. The England squad, uh, though, is going to be named, we're told this week, I haven't seen any confirmation. I think it's this week. Um, they're going off to have a camp as well. I don't know whether Play they're playing golf. golf too. They probably will be. Yeah, but they're off to, to, to link up. Golf is an anagram for flog. <laughs> God. I didn't expect you to use that. No, no, I, that, I hate that, 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 that word. jargon. Yeah, I don't. I really. Um, it's it's one of my immediate. Like, if you want to know if someone is a yes. complete dead shit, it's whether they use that the word flog. Yeah, it's 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 using that and using woke kind of side by side. Yeah. You, that, that's confirmation right there. Uh, yeah, but England will be named uh, under the leadership of Heather Knight, who's been in that role for a long time. I think I mentioned last week that having interviewed Nat Siva a couple of weeks ago, like they this might be that generation's last best chance mm-hmm. to beat Australia, especially now without Lanning. So an opportunity for them to try and get into the series early on. They've got the Test match first up, which which should suit them, I reckon, because you know, the problem we've had is that the Test have been deeper into the series and by that point it's meant they've had to play it kind of strategically. Mm-hmm. Like They know whether they need to go for two points or, or to save the furniture and two points will keep them in the series. Whereas here... Um, a five-day test match at Trent Bridge at a test ground where they've sold a shitload of tickets for. The ECB put out a statement last week saying they've already sold 70,000 tickets for the for the Women's Ashes series. Last time around in 2019, they sold all up about 30,000. So you're getting a sense of the scale of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, look, any home ground advantage that England might have, they, they could emphasise in a test match potentially with the Dukes ball too. And if they don't get rain, then they might not need the five days, like you, especially Trent Bridge where it can be a bit quicker. You could easily see that being over in four. It's just that every women's draw we've had in the last decade there's been rain involved um so hopefully that means that if there is any time lost then we'll be able to make that up um but yeah the test being first i suppose it can it's it's really hard to know how to position it if you make it first there is a tendency for teams to be defensive but they've been defensive anyway even even in positions where say you know Taunton for instance where you know England really needed to win that test match they still didn't go for it they still batted conservatively at for long periods of time they, they did declare 140 behind but it was all a bit did, too late wasn't it but yeah. because they batted so slowly before that point mm. there wasn't enough time left in the game to try to force it it would only have been Australia being generous enough to give them a time. Unnecessarily generous. Yeah. Remember at the time there was some pretty like ill-informed commentary saying, oh, Meg Lanning doesn't care about winning. I'm pretty sure that well, was you and me. No, 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 not at all. About Meg Lanning not caring about winning. Oh, right. I was saying like it wasn't about that. My point at the time was that um, if you watch enough of this sort of Red Bull stuff, you learn that there's a rhythm to offering some bait or, mm. or offering a carrot. A side who doesn't 
earn it doesn't get it. And Lanning was right to say, fuck that. Like we've earned our position in the series and we've batted for two days yep. and we can do what we want. Yep. Last time we around- We don't need to win this. My point is last time around, 2021, 20, 22, the one at Canberra, right. I think that's the model you should be looking at. I, I reckon the, the negativity around the defensive tactics we saw before from both sides, but acutely in 19, we saw that offset by the way, the type of enterprising mm. cricket we saw from the get-go in Canberra. Yep. And if that- is the case again. I mentioned a Duke's ball. That's not meant to be in passing. That's significant. A Duke's ball will, as we know, do more and, and react differently to what a kookaburra does. So I'm looking forward to seeing all of those different elements combined with England at home, the chance to lay a glove on Australia early in the series in a way they've just not been able to do. Mm-hmm. The last couple of times it's been all over so quickly. So yeah, yeah, I think it might serve as a bit of a leveler. Yeah, they need to get into it early and they need to bring something of that energy to it early. So they've been chirpy, the English women. There have been quite a few of them um, throwing a few little little verbals up here and there. So I don't know. I don't know if that will have any bearing on how they play on the field. But um, if if they come out and score at 1.8 runs and over through the first day, then they won't be living up to the kind of chat that yeah. they've been throwing around. Yeah, and they didn't do that against South Africa and they didn't do that against India. So I have, I have faith that test will, will run more in line with what we want to see to help build the case for more of it. As unfair as it is that the very rare women's test matches are used as a as a test case for whether they should have more into the future. Uh, there's been 20 over cricket this week through the Charlotte Edwards Cup, which has been continuing. The Blaze are yet to lose in four starts. Um, they bet the Vipers, who you'd think are the other... Other side they're going to have to beat, given the Vipers were successful last year at Northampton on finals day. The Diamonds are also four and zip. The Sunrise is yet to win. I saw them um, against the Stars at Lords here um, last week. Um, so Something there's about teams four. called the Sunrises. Yes. <laughs> they were very good. Exactly. Uh, the Storm and the Sparks have won one from their four so far. In the middle, um, the Stars are two and three, who mentioned before they, they won out here. In the first game they've played at Lords, um, the Sunrises as well. They hadn't actually played on this ground, so that's a good thing. Um, one of their home grounds. And the Thunder are two and two. I note on the way through that um, the Thunder don't, don't have Alex Hartley at their disposal for the time being. She's um, withdrawn from... Selection for now. I, I didn't. I missed this on the weekend, but I, I picked it up um, last night when going through a few news clips that um, she's made herself unavailable on mental health grounds and and um, wishes to spend some time not playing and focusing mm. on, on other parts of her life, including commentary. And that's great that she can take um, that decision on her own terms. I, I don't think that would have been possible a few years ago for for someone in men's or women's cricket, maybe ten years ago now. But to say no, nah, actually, I need to draw a line underneath yep. this for now. I need to walk away. And I'll return when I'm good and ready. Yeah, I mean, she's been incredibly forthright about that, about the you know the depression she went through after losing her England contract, and then you know the the, well, the interview we did with Kate Cross a few years ago, and, yep. and how willing she was to speak, and then the conversations those two yep. have on their own show. Um, they're incredibly frank around all kinds of things. They are <laughs> some, some <laughs> extremely intimate things. Um, Medical and dating and otherwise every, and, everything and, and, and you wouldn't have it any other way with with those two and yeah <laughs> Alex she's just a great egg so um, I'm sure she'll she'll be a big part of the uh, the summer and what you hear on the radio and mm-hmm. on the telly over here and and all the rest of it and um, last but not least the blast started uh, last yep. week in England Sean Abbott made the fastest hundred in the history mm. of the tournament equal fastest I think a 34 baller with 12 sixes that was at the Oval on Friday night mm. where they had a packed house probably the bigger talking point was the the smaller numbers they had here at Lords on the Thursday night, which was the derby between uh, Surrey and, and Middlesex, 15,000 people here, some empty seats up the top and so on. Uh, and that was being used by those who 
wish to interpret it this way is, is the fault of the hundred usual sort of culture war, proxy war plays out. I, I would balance that against mm. the fact that 35 quid to get in. Wait, 35 saying, quid so to get it's in. A, it's the fault of the hundred which is being played in August oh, that people I, didn't come to a game the, in the, May. The, the logic runs that if there's in, in a cost of living crisis or any right. old time, if you've got a limited amount of money to spend, you'll go to the cheaper game and the hundred tickets are cheaper. Because the blast of 35 quid, the 100 are like 10 quid in or whatever it is. It's much cheaper to get into the, the, the 100 games and they're, they're marketed accordingly for, sure. for, for families. The other point is that... Lords those, overcharging for games? Well, I don't believe that. Well, that's, it's, that's but crazy. it's not just the Lords piece, although that is part of it. The, yeah. um, the, the decision to have a higher price point here at this ground, which is typically the case in any cricket. Yep. It's that when those games were historically sold out between Middlesex and Surrey here... They were often Friday nights, mm. which is, again, a more going out night. It's mm. not a school night. And it is still in school term over here. We're not yep. in the holidays as yet. And the, 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 and I, yeah. I've been here commentating on those games. Like the, the blast games of a night uh, are boozy affairs with a lot of, uh, sorry to stereotype here, city boys getting on the tonk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, fewer city boys around after the pandemic. You know, work habits have changed. Like There are lots of different – I'm not saying it, it, it's not yeah. related to the 100 at all, but to, um, to attribute uh, – the blast crowds being less for a, a game here on a Thursday night down to one factor when there's lots of factors at play, I think, missing a, a trick or two. So, But, yeah, we're going to have a chance to talk more about this in our second episode this week as we kind of mm-hmm. leave this one for the time being. We've got an interview coming up tomorrow. I won't say who it's with, but it's going to be worth listening to and we will deal with this topic and, and many other things. Yeah, it's important to note that different nights are different for different things. As Billy Joel said, Friday night I trashed your party. <laughs> Saturday I said I'm sorry. You know, so which is which in terms of the blast? Which is which is the who's apologising, who's trashed what, I don't know. Uh, I think that's it for us. Again, I just wanted to, on the way out, uh, thank everybody for donating to uh, the, the half marathon efforts for the Lord's Tabs. You can continue to do so. You are bloody magnificent, yeah, every you one are. of you. The, 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 the way people rally been- to do good things, it, it touches me in my heart regions. <laughs> There's, and and a lot of people have just chipped in, you know, five quid here, ten quid there, a hundred quid from a couple of our donors. They may not want to be named, so I won't say, but people who've um, wanted to throw in more cash, you know, and I know everyone has different financial circumstances, but uh, it was a great collective effort to get us to that that target and now well beyond it. So it's not too late. The tabs have been in my inbox today asking for us to put the shout out again, and, and I will, and why not? Because everybody who was up there in Edinburgh did... Uh, did the work and, and has um, has got a medal around their neck, which is a, a really nice thing. And we'll do it again um, next year. We'll, as I said at the start, probably go up to Edinburgh again in August to play some cricket. So if that's your thing, let me know. And if you want to be part of what we're doing in a more enduring way, patreon.com forward slash the final word as we start probably our busiest two months ever on the podcast. Mm-hmm. That's it. That is it. That is the end of the show. I've been awake for about 49 hours <laughs> and I'm going to end this program and I'm going to go to sleep. Uh, don't go to sleep until at least 9pm. That's the trick. It's about 4.20 now. I know what you should do at 4.20. And it <laughs> Something that will make me go to sleep very soon after. <laughs> Light it up. Final word, season 14, episode 16. Bye. The Kookaburra Blaze. See ya. I had to go.